0: I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. You know, we live in some what some people have termed a post Christian nation, and certainly. You know, it's a challenge uh, reaching a younger generation that identifies as none, you know, unaffiliated. Um, they, don't, God, they don't, they're not raised the same way that I, w- I was raised. Uh, and I've raised four kids and, and uh, those uh, Gen Z and millennial generations. And it's critical that we learn how to communicate uh, what today's guest calls 12 Crucial Truths of the Christian faith. Uh, And we hear this word apologetics, and sometimes we think, oh, well, that's for, you know, uh, the really smart people. Well, I mean, really, it's it's for all of us to be able to, to defend the faith, to give a good answer to those who question why we believe what we believe. So we're gonna help arm you today. Uh, And the book, a book that is available for you is written by Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell, 12 Crucial Truths of the Christian Faith. It's available right now, uh, and it's a great resource for those of you who want to just get a little better equipped. Uh, But we're going to whirl through some of that right today, so stick around, and we'll, we'll help equip you in your faith. Sean, man, great to finally sort of meet you, and great to have you on Life Today Live. Appreciate you being here.
1: Thanks, Randy. Finally is the right word. We've been needing to connect for a long time, but I'm glad we could make it happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, our, our fathers go way back uh, in ministry and in friendship, so uh, mm. it's it's great to have you here. So d- dive into this a little bit. I mean, before we get some of the details, uh, I mean, this is something you deal with all the time. Um, how, how hard is it to, to give that good answer, and how how are the generations younger than us coming along in that
1: well you're right when you said apologetics is not just for professors or for you know talk show hosts or <laughs> for pastors apologetics is something we're all called to do first peter 3:15 talks about you know just setting apart ourselves before the lord and in the right spirit and the right approach always being ready with an answer and given it with gentleness and with respect. That's for everybody. Now, apologetics, I think Jesus was a kind of apologist. Paul was an apologist. Some of the early church fathers are called apologists. Mm -hmm. So there's certain timeless issues we need to defend, that Jesus is God, that God is good, that the scriptures are true. But then there's certain timely questions that come up because the cultural context that we're in and today some of those might be issues of science and faith they might be LGBTQ they might be immigration and race whatever it may be those are timely issues Mm -hmm. and so what's hard for people this generation is that there's certain timely issues young people are asking that we need to be ready with a solid answer for and let's be honest the Bible does have an answer for them if we equip ourselves and be ready
0: okay you said a key phrase there equip ourselves do you think some of the difficulty that we have sometimes is because our roots are a little shallow
1: i think that's a very gracious way of putting it
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so one of the things i do at churches and conferences i'll put on glasses and i'll role play an atheist and the point is to invite audiences to ask questions i respond as an atheist might and then after 20 25 30 minutes More often than not, audiences get upset, they get defensive, sometimes hostile and aggressive. (laughs) And then I step out of character and I'll say, why did we get so aggressive here? I said, maybe it's because many of you don't really know what you believe and why. And when you don't have an answer and I press you, either we can do the hard work of saying, wow, I got to humble myself and grow. This is an inadequacy in my life. Or we push back because we don't like that being revealed. So. I think, in my experience, honestly, Randy, I've done this, I don't know, dozens and dozens, maybe a couple hundred times. It's the exception to find a Christian who, in the right spirit, can ask a thoughtful question to an atheist. So we have a long ways to go in building depth in our theological and apologetic uh, responses as Christians. Well,
0: why do you, Why do you think that is? Is it just we grow up in a Christian bubble and we're comfortable with it? And uh, when someone kind of pops that bubble, we don't know how to react, or, or what, something else going on? What do you think? Well, I think it's a few things. I think
1: in certain segments of evangelicalism, we have such an experience, emotion-based faith, and we <laughs> gauge somebody's faith by their level of emotional fervor and use terms like you are on fire, that can become the the, the standard by which we judge a Christian. That's one piece. Uh, second piece, some people just had a bad experience with apologetics. Yeah. And I look at apologists and sometimes cringe. And honestly, Randy, there's times I look back and I'm like, what was I doing? And I was just a jerk. Mm. Like, And I've repented from that and tried to change and be more gracious. I think that's a piece of it. But also apologetics and theology is hard work. Like anything else, it involves discipline. It involves study. It involves failing and getting better and moving on. So it's sometimes easier to just, for lack of a more sophisticated term, poo-poo something rather than lean in and do the hard work of getting better at it.
0: Do you think we look at unbelievers and you, you talk about atheists, and I think a lot of times it's, you know, a lot of just agnostics or people who are just indifferent. Um, do we do you think we sometimes look at them wrongly? In other words, position them as the Enemy, position them as targets of God's wrath rather than targets of God's redemption? 100% we have a ton of misconceptions. Yeah.
1: Now, how can I say this? Well, number one, I talk to a ton of atheists and skeptics. And when I listen to their stories and their experience in church and their experience with Christians, one of the things i hear over and over again is christians are assuming this about me christians don't listen to me christians don't understand my perspective now some of that is because there's quite a few atheists that i've met and skeptics and unbelievers who don't really have any relationships with christians Yeah. now there could be different reasons for that but sometimes we as christians don't just lean in and intentionally build relationships with people who see the world differently so when you hear a group of people characterized in the media in a certain fashion and in other forums you're likely to adopt those stereotypes if you don't know individuals so I see a lot of uh, people outside the faith having misconceptions of Christians Hmm. I can't control that but I see a lot of Christians having misconceptions of atheists not taking the time to understand them or it could be Muslims or could be any other group fill in the blank well, there's no excuse for that as Christians when we're called to love our neighbors, and one of the first ways to love is to simply understand.
0: Yeah, and and that requires listening. And you know what? The thing about listening I've learned over the years is that it it sometimes requires you to listen, if I can use a, a Christianese phrase that Christians will understand, by the Spirit. In other words— not necessarily to the words that are coming uh, outside of someone's mouth, even the objections or the hostility or the anger or the mischaracterization, but to try to discern what's behind it. Mm. And that's a different kind of listening, and that takes some spiritual depth and some spiritual discipline because you' you know words can set us off. but if you go if you stop and try to listen to what's well, almost like, <laughs> It's almost like a husband-wife relationship. When your wife says, "I'm fine," and you go, "You said you were fine," <laughs> you got to go a little, <laughs> little bit beyond that and go, "What? What am right. I really hearing?" How often do you find that someone who is maybe saying one thing, um, there's a lot more behind it.
1: It's really interesting you ask this question because I teach a class at Biola University called Gospel Kingdom Culture, and we talk about apologetics, evangelism, and social issues. And this upcoming Monday, I'm talking about the question beneath the question. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna try to impress upon my students that when people have objections to the Christian faith, they're intellectual. Sometimes they're genuinely intellectual and apologetic questions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes beneath them are moral issues. The person doesn't wanna live a certain way because of what Christianity implies with your time and your body, et cetera. Some people it's relational some it's emotional they've been hurt so uh, the way to get to the question beneath the question is simply to ask questions and really listen yeah just listen so i don't want to assume there's some hidden agenda in somebody's life but i just want to know what's the root what's the core issue at play here and more often than not it's a bad experience in church it's a bad experience with a Christian. It's a moral issue. It's a relational issue, something else at play. And I spent too much time in my life answering questions that people aren't really asking because <laughs> I didn't take the time to listen. I just don't want to do that anymore.
0: Yeah. No, that, that, I mean, and that again, that is a discipline. I mean, because it, unfortunately, and if you're like me, I catch myself thinking about what I'm going to say next rather than mm. listening to what they're saying you know, and really hearing them. All right, uh, let's get to the book, 12 Crucial Truths of the Christian Faith. Um, what are some of the things that you're covering in, in this? So we got 12 core
1: essential truths of the Christian faith that have been believed and embraced, we would argue, since the inception of the Church. Now, they were codified in things like the Nicene Creed. These are things like God is the Creator, Jesus is God in human flesh. Salvation is by you know grace through faith. God is triune. So these aren't secondary, but important issues like the age of the earth, role of women in the church. Those are vital questions, but they're not salvation related questions. And there's room for Christians to agree and disagree on those. So we walk through each one of those. What I think really makes this book unique is sometimes there's theology books that are heavy on truth, minimal on application. Mm -hmm. Then there's a lot of relational books that are heavy on application. But let's be honest, sometimes verses are picked and chosen out of context with the translation that advances (laughs) the (laughs) relational point being made. And not always, but that can happen. Right. Well, one of the things my dad taught me is that truth is always biblical truth meant to be lived out in relationships. Yeah. She looked like Paul's letters. Over and over again, he'll give theological truth. And then as he moves through the letter, he'll say, this is what it means to love your parents. This is what it means to love your neighbor. Yeah. Like Romans 12, towards you move towards the end of the letter. Here's what love looks like. Yeah. So this is a book that has theology in it, but in each chapter, how do we relate this to our relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, with creation? How do we live out that truth in relationship, which is what God has designed us for? Which is why in the back of it, we say relational apologetics for a new generation. It's not meant to be just relationships. It's not meant to be just truth and theology. It's both.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, that has to go hand in hand, because— so a lot of times we know we you know we, we know what we believe um and we try to to put it into practice but we can we can fall into the trap of going one way or the other words in other words being all, all truth all the time or just all grace all the time and it really you, it's like trying to juggle with one hand you know you got to have you gotta have both hands there when what do you what do you see more of do, do you see Christians falling into the all truth and no application and no grace in the application verse or do you see more people kind of saying I just I just want to love people and I don't you know the I don't really know the answer to that question you know that the truth thing because I, I see kind of two different tracks that we tend to ditches that we tend to fall into I think this
1: is such an interesting question. I sent out a a tweet some time ago, and I said, what does the church need more today, (laughs) grace and compassion or truth? And the responses were all over the map. As a whole, I think we desperately need truth. We cannot get away from that. Mm. And there's a range of issues within the church and outside of the church where I think there's a compromise and questioning of biblical truth and biblical authority. In fact, I would argue behind a lot of issues today, the root question is biblical authority is really what is driving it. Yeah. So a huge case can be made that we're lo- we've lost truth, we're not committed to truth, you live your truth, I live mine. But on the flip side, we also live in a cancel culture in which people are so quick to condemn so quick to criticize, so quick to cancel others who see the world differently. And what cancel culture lacks is grace and kindness and compassion. We have an angry argumentative culture. And when people calm down, show kindness, lean in with understanding, show grace, that is such a powerful means of getting attention in our culture that's trying to shout down, try and provoke, try to insult, get views, get subscribers. <laughs> yeah. So I think we must not compromise truth, but in terms of getting the attention of our culture, kindness and love and grace is one of the most powerful means we have of drawing people to the kingdom and it's so powerful, because at the root of Christianity alone is that God has grace for us, yeah. so let us be agents of grace for others.
0: Yeah, okay, a little bit of a sidebar, but it kind of illustrates what we're talking about. Did you happen to see back in the Super Bowl that um, Jesus didn't teach hate commercial, that he gets his commercial? You saw yep. that one? What mm-hmm. would you would you think?
1: So I had mixed thoughts on that. I thought a couple of the images, for example— the woman holding presumably her mom who was drugged out and washing her feet gives me goosebumps. That was such a powerful, beautiful image of love. Mm -hmm. But also was another image in this of a family planning clinic. And behind the clinic was uh, people who were protesting. And in the front, like the foreground of the picture was a woman presumably formally protesting Washing the feet of a girl who presumably came out of the family planning clinic and maybe had an abortion. Well, I'm all for showing grace and love and compassion to Mm. women who've been through this. My goodness, I talk about that all the time. But is the commercial giving the message that if you protest something that results in the death of an unborn human being, that's hate? To Mm. fight against injustice, is that hate? Now, I doubt the people who made the campaign would want to agree with that and say, yes, that's hate. But in our culture, love basically means affirmation. I accept you for who you are. I don't judge. You do you. You be yourself. And I'm hateful if I don't affirm. So when that campaign says Jesus How do you word it? Like, Jesus didn't hate. He was about love. I'm thinking, of course. Right. But we've got to make sure we take a biblical definition of love, not a cultural definition of love. And one of my concerns amongst others with that is that it probably lends some confusion
0: to people watching it. Yeah. You know what? I didn't even pick up on that. Uh, I was at a Super Bowl party with a bunch of guys, so <laughs> that's my excuse. But yeah, yeah no, understandable. No, yeah, right. I know, no, but that, that's actually very insightful. Um, I what I, here's part of the reason I ask that question is because some of the criticism, what you just said, makes perfect sense, and I think that's worth discussing. But some of the criticism I thought was overly harsh from Christians, uh, you know, who who I, I don't know what they wanted out of a thirty second ad because. I, I'm looking at it going, wow, okay, we have a culture that teaches that Christians are haters. And this comes right in your face and says, no, if you follow Christ, he didn't teach, hate. you know, uh, other than to hate sin, which is another aspect of that, you know, flip side of the same coin. But um, some of the reactions, sometimes it goes to a a deeper issue, right? The question behind my question. Sometimes Christians are so right that they're just— they're jerks you know what i mean how do we how do we I, present sorry. the? no it's okay how do we present the truth and and maintain that love sword not that clinging symbol
1: look i have no problem if christians are critical of the he gets This campaign <laughs> truth matters yeah it does we need to think about how we spend money we need to think about how we do evangelism but i haven't seen a lot of people number one Try to understand first what the campaign is doing, at least understand first. Uh, second, lean in and say, OK, is there anything positive we can take from this? And then third, if you differ, do so in a gracious, thoughtful, kind manner. Yeah. Now, there is a time to speak up against injustice boldly and pull no punches. There is a time to do that. But I think sometimes we just knee-jerk react, we're quick to judge, we don't give a balanced critique. That's what bothers me. So it's more how we do it than the critique that people have if they've done their homework and they try to understand what the campaign or any issue is on its own terms. So, for example, this is separate, but I wrote a piece on critical race theory probably three years ago, and everybody was up in arms about that. And we should be talking about it. There's a lot at play. And i said first let's understand critical race theory clearly Mm -hmm. and then let's understand it charitably and then let's understand it critically Mm -hmm. so accurately charitably and then criticism isn't that how we would want people to criticize our views it seems to me we skip over charitable we skip (laughs) over clearly and just launch into criticism And I just think it's not helpful.
0: No, yeah, no, no. You do a great job of it. In fact, I want to show people your website real quick before I let you go. This is Sean McDowell org. Uh, and you, I. One thing I will say, uh, and I've been watching what you've been doing for a while from uh, the comfort of my own smartphone. Right, you have <laughs> done a great job of taking this generation's media and putting content into a format that they can that they will digest right they will consume and then understand Um, but give people an idea a little bit of what you're doing especially people that might know you know your dad and how you're going about this in a way that I think is actually very very smart for this current media climate and uh, you know the generations coming up what all do you do on your website
1: yeah, so first off, I teach full-time at Biola University, Talbot School of Theology. That is my full-time job. I write books, like you mentioned, the one that we were discussing a little bit ago. But I started to realize years ago that people are communicating in a different fashion in a different way. Mm-hmm. And my son said to me three years ago, he goes, Dad, if you want to reach my generation, you got to get on TikTok. Now, I realize that raises a lot of questions. I'm not telling China. anybody else whether they should be honored or not. That is not <laughs> my point. Right but my approach is to lean in and say, how do I communicate in a way that connects with this generation effectively? Mm -hmm. So I'm on Instagram. I use Twitter slash X. Mm. YouTube is one of my favorite things to use. I have extended conversations with atheists, with Muslims, with uh, progressive Christians, a lesbian activist, and I'm just trying to model civil fair conversation. That's what I'm trying to do. And i think people have found it kind of a breath of fresh air and a lot of people are like wow this just helps me learn how to have conversations with people who see the world differently
0: yeah no well keep doing it Uh, i think it's it's very effective and i appreciate it appreciate your time man thanks for sitting down with us anything you want to mention before i let you go
1: man thanks for great questions you mentioned earlier you think about questions while somebody's talking how to respond well (laughs) you did that well today you asked exactly (laughs) the right questions Honor to be on and uh, give your dad love from the McDowells.
0: We'll do it. appreciate it. Some days are better than others. <laughs> That's a good one today, though. You guys out there watching, hit that share button, inspire somebody, and check out this book by Sean McDowell and his little-known father, Josh McDowell, 12 Crucial Truths of the Christian Faith, available wherever you get books. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live.